Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to Radio Entrepreneurs. And, you know, I'm always excited to say that we continue to stream stories of entrepreneurship, uh, leadership, and uh, the law. And that means that my co-host for this segment is the one and the only Mark Z from Mark Z Legal Staffing. Welcome back, Mark. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here and, and great to uh, to talk about our next guest. And I'm pretty excited about our next guest. It's uh, Denise Chicoin, uh, and that's managing partner of Englander and Chicoin PC. Welcome. Thank you for having me. That's good. So, can you tell us about your background and your law firm? Well, I was interested in practicing law when I was still in college, and then I was one of those people that went straight through from college to to BC. That was when I came to Boston back in 1990, and. I started working as a law student for a solo practitioner, and I never left. <laughs> so I may be, I don't know, unusual being in the same place now for wow. 33 years, but it's its worked out. It's been a really engaging practice to be with still my law partner, Ed Englander. So, Wow. That's that's, that's unusual. And, and, you know, I'm not, I know it's not about me, but my brother saw the Clarence Darrell story when he was seven years old, the black and white movie, and decided when he was seven, he wanted to be an attorney and spent his whole career being a criminal attorney. So, you know, some people, maybe that's the way their cloth is cut, that they were <laughs> meant to be attorneys. And those are my favorite attorneys. Well, the, criminal law is a whole other level of undertaking. I really respect that. The, wow. the interesting is part is the dynamics from going from a an employee to a, a equal partner and also sort of the mentorship and the respect and the the learning process along the way so it's very unusual denise so that's um obviously this had to be something very special and career fulfilling about it for you to be doing that yes i'm certainly grateful for the opportunity that i've had and and it has allowed me since i became a partner in 99 so now it's that's been 24 years, um, you know, to really take the practice in a direction that I'm interested in that, you know, that works for both of us to bring on associates to expand the litigation capacity, in essence. Well, well I'll, I'll just ask you a question about the partnership, because I have a partner that used to be an employee and the relationship changed once we became partners. Did you find that at all? I think that's true. Yeah, that there's just a different dynamic in you're no longer assigning things, you know, you're collaborating. And it's it's a different level of respect that that you have as not just the one, not the worker bee anymore, but but someone that can bring in cases, someone that can decide the direction of cases, but still that you both benefit. From that collaboration, Mark, you had a question. I think I caught you before. Yeah, what I what I also wanted to ask Denise. One of the things about her now that she's obviously um, built this firm, Denise is well known for an area of law that is very. I know um, a favorite topic of yours, uh, Jeff, is um, um, getting involved in, as she says, beaches and breaches, dealing with land use and rights and. Um, um, in this, in, in, and as you know, Jeff, um, because you're, um, you know, you spend a lot of time on the Cape, and um, um, there are a lot of issues relating to this that lead to a lot of litigation. And uh, 
Um, Denise is one of the premier special specialists in this space. Denise, do you want to talk about it? Because in the summer, that's when you're seeing more and more issues, you know? And I, I've been known to patrol the beach behind me. That's my reputation in the neighborhood. <laughs> yes. Well, that's kind of you to say. I mean, there are obviously a number of attorneys in this space, but it's somewhat unusual to focus on beach rights. And Massachusetts and Maine are the only two states in the country where you can own private. Private ownership can extend all the way from high watermark down. And it depends on the deeds. It depends on the history of use of the property. But most other states have public use starting at high watermark. So that the, the title flats, the dry sand basically, can be used in other states for putting out a blanket or playing volleyball. And in Massachusetts, the light, the rights can be, depending again on the circumstances, limited only to fishing and fouling and navigation. So that doesn't include walking or volleyball. And this leads to a lot of tension on places like the Cape, where the beach is such a resource that everybody wants to be using. So we've gotten involved in cases about access and you know, preservation, like in terms of rebuilding seawalls and proving people's use over the years. So it's a whole range of things, even things involving moorings. You know, it's been very interesting to get involved in. Oh, my, you you tick off all my <laughs> topic areas. Uh, and also shell fishing. We had a couple big cases about aquaculture. So <laughs> also on my list in my backyard, all right. these things happen. Uh, someone just told me on the weekend it took them 16 years to get a mooring in my backyard. I mean, it is very much under municipal control, but there is a certain level of right because it's part of navigation. So, is, Are the laws different in Massachusetts? Well, Maine used to be part of Massachusetts, so I'm wondering that's where it came from. But is it because Massachusetts was incorporated as a commonwealth before the country was created that these laws predate the country? Yes, it's actually quite fascinating. It was an ordinance in 1647 when they were preparing to build Long Wharf in Boston that the colonists seized the land from the king. And they said, we don't want to be taxed on this land between mean high and mean low. We're going to just build our wharf on it and we're going to say we own it. And that ordinance then applied to Massachusetts Bay Colony and as you said, Maine was a part of it. And then that continued even after, you know, we had the states and various, you know, other layers of government. That was still a unique aspect of Massachusetts law. Wow. I sort of stumbled my way into knowledge there. Right. <laughs> Denise, what have been your biggest challenges in the last few years? Um, had, what, did the whole COVID um, process where you had more people um, coming to the Cape or some of the other beaches to um, do uh, Airbnbs or um, to hang out there and, and spend time um, that they normally wouldn't have. Like I know, like, for example, in New York, I know a lot of New Yorkers went out to the Hamptons during COVID. So did you find that there was a lot um you know, I mean, you couldn't, obviously the beaches, it's colder, so not as many people are out there, but you find that people were trying to flex their muscle or looking into the, some of these issues? 
Yes, I would say there definitely was an uptick in claims because of this intensified use. And interestingly, a little adjunct to beach use is just general boundary disputes. And with so many people working from home, I really noticed a difference in people like looking out their backyard and saying, what is that fence doing there? Or how long has that shed been there? I don't think that that driveway belongs. You know, and so there were all these like interpersonal claims because people were focusing being in a different space. And also with the beach rights claims, you know, there was a lot of questions that came up about access, who has the right to use these stairs down to the beach, you know, where are the sideline boundaries? And it's just, I guess, part of it being such a unique resource back to the point of beaches, particularly. You find because of more um, condo associations or buildings going condo that um, that those that there are more rules and, you know, in terms of access to a beach and everything that um, that's cementing certain rights and, and rules more now than um, previously? I haven't really in my practice seen a particular effect of condominiums because they're just in essence another private owner and then they will regulate it for all the unit owners, you know, where you could like store your kayaks, for example, like if the condominium association builds a rack or so they have ways to regulate the use, but I don't think that that has really accelerated any problems that I've seen, you know. Have there been some... So, Sorry, Jeff, you go. Now I'm going to ask another question. Sorry, only because of my... Uh, what's go- what I've seen going on. So people are allowed to cross the beach to go fishing, but they're not supposed to stay on the beach. What if somebody brings their family and they get hurt on the beach? Who's liable? Is it the beach owner or is it the state or is it no one? Well, as every good attorney would answer your question... It depends, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, there really would have to be an analysis of the location, your hypothetical here, the location of the injury in relation to the who owns what, you know. So not every owner owns privately all the way to the low water mark. Like, as I said in the beginning, it depends on the way the deeds were written back in the 1700s, the way the land has been subdivided. And you know, so it could be that if it's between mean high and mean low, then there could be a town ownership of that beach. Or if the injury occurred when the tide was all the way out and it was below oh. mean low, that I, could then be the state. I, I, I'm sorry I make it personal. It's just I find it interesting. I saw a family member walking on a seawall and I thought, oh, my, someone should tell him to get down because if they fall off that seawall, there's going to be a problem, a big problem. Typically, seawalls are owned by the upland owner, but I mean, it could have been a seawall that was municipal in construction. And there is a theory in the law about coming to the nuisance, meaning that, you know, people take risks that then the landowner is not responsible for. Mm, sounds like a nice little legal gray area. Right. Especially if they're not invited, right? I mean, they're like, I guess certain, um, quote, visitors are expected to, as as Jeff said, to pass through, but others, if you're really trying to, because you can't patrol what goes on your property twenty four seven, you know. So, it's like well, you I, D- Denise, I find it all very interesting, and I know this is a ongoing issue throughout Massachusetts, and uh, 
I hope you come back again and you bring Mark Z with you. If someone's looking for you and wants to know more information about all these things, I know I'm going to be speaking to my family about you. Uh, how would they find you? Well, we do have a website and I am on LinkedIn. So, or people can just email me and I'm very responsive. So, What's your website, Denise? It's kind of a hangover from a predecessor firm, but so it's elcpc.com. And so even though the firm is Englander and Chicoin, the website has a slightly different name, elcpc.com. And I'm happy to talk to anyone, see if I can add value because the law is really all about solving problems. That's great. And Mark Z, if somebody wants to find you, how would well, they first, find you? Thank you, Jeffrey. For First of all, Google Mark Z, M-A-R-C, and the, the um, letter Z, and uh, or... Um, uh, markzlegal.com, M-A-R-C-Z-L-E-G-A-L.com, the wonderful radio entrepreneur's website, or 617-338-1300. I want to remind everybody this is Radio Entrepreneurs, and uh, we uh, will return with more stories after this break. <laughs> 